Hello and welcome to our Catholic News podcast and I'm in the rather interesting surroundings of Hertfordshire County Council, a grand building, a bit art deco I have to say, probably 1930s and I'm getting off topic already because I'm here speaking to Jim McManus, the Director of Public Health for Hertfordshire and the Vice President of the Association of Directors of Public Health, bit of a mouthful, um, grand title there. And also, um, Jim is part of our healthcare reference group and has been for many years uh, helping us out with all matters concerned with healthcare. And Jim, I think there is only one matter, certainly in the public consciousness when it comes to healthcare at the moment, coronavirus, but I should be a bit more specific because it's a family of viruses, COVID-19. Now, you've helped us with the guidelines, the excellent guidelines we have. We're currently at stage two. I mean, we hear health officials saying that potentially 10,000 people in the UK could have COVID-19. And I notice a key message in your guidelines is reassurance. What do we do at this point to reassure people and perhaps get away from a hysterical reaction? Well, I think that's probably the best thing because we've got two epidemics. One is the virus and the other is fear and panic. Uh, And I I keep saying that to people and reassuring people that 81% of people who get this virus will have fairly mild disease, a bit like a bad flu. Um, And 14% will be fairly severe and only about 5% will be critical. And we expect less than 2% to die. And that is the, the case. People are behaving as if it is much worse. They're behaving as if they need to panic buy. You don't. There's plenty of supplies in the shops of all the food. Um, The supermarkets are working flat out. And um, we're in the delay phase, which means we're just trying to slow the peak of the epidemic because we can't stop it altogether. So we will come through this. Uh, We will come out of the other end. um, And um, we will all still be together. Uh, It's not as bad as people are fearing. And do we... Uh, are we right to think that our healthcare system here in England and Wales is robust enough to cope with this? I think, yes, provided that we all protect ourselves and the most vulnerable. So there's a key thing here about the phases of pandemics. We've moved from containment, which is trying to stop the thing spreading, into delay, which is trying to slow the spread and slow the peak. And there are two reasons for slowing the spread and the peak. And they both relate to the most vulnerable people because the most vulnerable people will get most ill from this. Um, So the first reason for slowing the peak is because we don't want to overwhelm the healthcare system at a time when it needs to care for those who are most vulnerable. And the second reason for slowing the peak is the healthcare system will be much more able and social care will be able to cope with the demand and care for our vulnerable people. So as a society right now, We have to stop worrying about ourselves. The people who are sometimes making the most noise, which is um, parents worried about their children, are, are, unless the children have severe immune problems and severe underlying conditions, the people who are at the very least risk. We have to focus on those at most risk, those most vulnerable, and stop the virus getting to them. And it occurs to me, actually, with something moving very fast like this, that I should say this is the uh, 13th of March, Friday. We're in the uh, early afternoon here. It's funny, isn't it? I rarely have to do a podcast where I need to put a time marker in. But this thing is moving quickly, isn't it? It is. I mean, the the case definitions have moved in just the last two days twice. So the case definition is now we're no longer going to test you if you've got a continuous dry cough and a fever 
self-isolate for seven days and we're now assuming it's on the basis of symptoms. Um, so that's a big change. We will probably see more measures come out in the next three to four weeks as we ramp in. Uh, uh, things like large-scale meetings may need to change. But there's no point doing that too early because actually if you do it too early, it, people get tired of them, they disrupt them, and it may not have the right effect. So things move very fast um, in a way that they didn't actually quite in 2009 during swine flu. Now, sometimes people say we live in too sterile a society. I've heard that before. I've had uh, friends who are doctors that will pick things off the floor and eat them if, if you know, they haven't been on the floor too long. Um, but that said, in this particular phase, using hand gels, if we can literally lay our hands on them, certainly washing with soap and water for 20 seconds. You and I are sitting two metres apart, which is recommended as well. And we'll come on to self-isolation. But these things, perhaps sometimes, you know, we see this as a bad thing, but some of these habits are decent hygienic habits to get into anyway aren't they absolutely and we've become far too complacent around colds and flu one thing we need to remember is that every year in england every day during the flu season a person dies of flu uh, and we've become complacent about it uh, and one of the things that will hinder us with this virus is we're so complacent about hygiene and i think there's a difference between um what most public health people call the 30-second rule from the floor or, or 10-second rule if you're really uh, cautious, mm. um, uh, mostly aimed at bacteria and viruses against which we have no immunity. And we have no immunity against this thing. Uh, and we won't develop immunity until it's been circulating for at least a year uh, and, and infecting people. So your only weapon is good hygiene and social distancing because there ain't any hope of a vaccine any time before late summer at the very earliest. Now, I was in Ireland last week, and I know the Irish schools have obviously uh, suspended kids from going into school. Um, let's talk about the Catholic community over here, because over there they were saying there's a dispensation not to go if you're unwell. And obviously we would say if, if you're unwell, you know, you have to be careful who you're around in public naturally. Um, talk us through our stage two guidelines that you've put together for us in terms of what we do particularly at mass and when we gather as catholics so we have these guidelines on the bishop's conference website as you say and they're aimed to ensure that we disrupt and delay the spread of the virus in our community and they're also aimed at stage two ensuring that um, mass can happen as safely as possible for as many people as possible um, so we are not um, yet saying to people um, we're suspending masses. So it's things like no physical sign of peace, communion in the hand only, um, not communion on the tongue, not receiving from the chalice, um, removing the holy water stipes, public veneration of relics and, um, and the cross on Good Friday, not by kissing or physically touching, um, and actually advising the most vulnerable to think about staying away, but not everybody, because they, they will have a dispensation, but even things like ceasing use of hymn books. This is all designed around one thing, which is stopping the virus circulating during the Mass to the people. So if, you're, if everybody washes their hands or uses hand gel as a second best when they come in and does it thoroughly for 20 seconds, you know, and you can find videos on how to do that. There's a link on the Bishop's Conference website, I think, to the video. Um, and then you follow these guidelines. It is They are designed to stop the virus transmitting during Mass. 
so that mass can happen safely because it's important. And that's what stage two is about. And we've all got a responsibility because actually I am more at risk having had cancer and still having a weakened immune system, but I'm not at risk as my mother who's 81 who got diabetes um, and heart disease. She's much more at risk. So these guidelines are designed to protect the people who really matter and are most precious to Catholics, which is the vulnerable. And taking a few sort of mini examples, and I suppose because these are on my mind, because I've heard my children say it and other such things, grandma shouldn't get on the tube, two million people pass through the underground network every day. I mean, I appreciate that, but some people have no choice, do they, when, when it comes to transportation and getting around the place? Yeah, and, and if you've, so I think social distancing is a really good thing if you can do it, staying two metres away from people. Um, I coughed on a train into London the other day and I had four seats to myself within about two seconds. It was great. Um, It was fabulous, it really is. And I've also noticed people are being polite to one another. Um, So, you know, we we may be at risk of recovering our common duty to one another as humans. But if you have to travel, wash your hands before you go out, stay away from anyone coughing and sneezing, touch as few surfaces as you can, Do not put your hands above your shoulders. Now, why am I saying that? Because we keep saying, don't touch your mouth, your eyes or your nose or your face. Actually, that's quite difficult. But keeping your hands below your shoulders is a lot easier. And if you do that, you are much less likely to touch your face. Um, So there's a wee bit of behavioural psychology in there, Um, you know, if you just do that. And then wash your hands as soon as you can and obviously sneeze into a tissue and bin it. And if you do those things, um, I think that's about as much as you can protect yourself. Plus, we also know that um, public transport have, well, certainly here in Hertfordshire, have stepped up the cleaning regimes. And shortly we will have posters on every train going through Hertfordshire and every bus in Hertfordshire talking about those measures. So if you have to travel by public transport, there are things you can do. And what I find quite heartening, actually, is, I, you know, we, we hear on a level that there's no hand sanitizers available. It's really hard to get these things. But you come into public places like I have today and there's, there's plenty of it, really, which is a good sign. And I've noticed that in hospitals, obviously, too. So perhaps it, it's worth saying that in a lot of public places, there will be cleaning facilities available. Won't there? Yes. And uh, so I was at a meeting in another public building in Hertfordshire on Tuesday night talking about coronavirus. And, you know, the soap was plentiful, there was hand sanitizer in the public areas. There were wipes, so you were actually encouraged to wipe the desk that you'd been at after you'd left it for the meeting, which is an extra added touch, um, I think. But they have a lot of very vulnerable people in that building, so they're taking extra precautions. So the stuff is there. You don't need to panic by it. And actually... If all you're doing is sanitising your hands with stuff you buy from supermarkets and not washing your hands, you're not covering yourself as much as... Hand sanitizer is plus... Is, it's an addition to washing, not a substitute. Unless you can't get to soap and water. So I think people are thinking that a bit, or at least behaving like it's OK because I've got some hand sanitizer. Yeah, no, I mean, wash your... I mean, I always say, wash your hands before you leave the house, when you get to work, before you have a break... Um, before you have lunch, after you have lunch, and when you get home, uh, and use hand sanitizer in between those times, and that's the safest thing. I did pass a guy the other evening who um, was smoking a cigarette while wearing a face mask and using hand sanitizer. Um, so I, I kind of stopped and said, "Do you do realise that's actually probably worse?" 
because you're spreading, you're touching the face mask, then touching the, the, the cigarette and actually getting it into your mouth really, really effectively. It's like you said, behavioural habits. It really is. Yeah. A couple of quick bits of myth-busting before we move on to self-isolation. Mm. First one, um, washing your hands with cold water, any difference to washing with hot? Um, hot's much preferable because you get the temperature up, the, the, the soap works much better, and it, and it can actually really penetrate the virus um, protein rings and kill them. But, you know, any water's better than no water. 20 seconds, keep, keep the amount of time. 20 seconds so um and you have to you can do the video actually there's a video of aretha franklin singing i will survive while washing her hands which, i've seen a salve like. regina which apparently works i haven't seen that have you not seen it? I'll, I'll send you that yes please i'd love that because i think it's, it's spot on um second bit of myth busting if i sneeze i don't have corona i've heard that one yeah, no, that's nonsense because coronavirus can have any cold symptoms and any flu symptoms. Obviously, sneezing can be anything, but it can also be coronavirus. The cough and the fever are the two most frequent symptoms at the minute. That's good because I'm moving on to symptoms because they can be quite difficult to identify, can't they? I mean, I think people struggle like I've coughed once or twice. Do I have corona? Do I need to self-isolate? So in terms of self-isolation and symptoms... Mm. What's a reasonable assessment of how we should look at it? Um, if you have a new, i.e. it wasn't around before, dry and continuous cough, like, I mean, frequently. So my voice is, um, is suffering from the amount of speaking I've been doing. So I coughed when we came in. But if you notice, I haven't coughed since. Yeah. So if I had coronavirus, I'd be coughing fairly repeatedly. So that... Plus a fever, and I don't mean oh, I feel a wee bit warm. It's like I have a, I have a genuine fever. We know when we've got a fever, don't we? You feel feverish and you feel unwell. Those two together, um, that is a, a sign that you should self-isolate. Um, it can be all sorts of things, and my worry is that in in people who are really vulnerable, things like lung disease and heart disease, the symptoms may be masked. So it's all the more important that we make sure they get the bulk of medical resource. Because if you've got heart failure or COPD and are coughing all the time, it would be relatively easy for a very overworked nurse to miss the coronavirus cough, which isn't, a, you know, it's just a cough, but it's a continuous cough um, on top of your other things. That's a really interesting point. And actually, you've mentioned vulnerable people, and I think that brings us back to that, actually. You know, you hear, you look at the statistics, you know, some of the age, in decades, those age brackets are 0.4 that might end up dying compared to if you're over 80, 13, 14% nominally. I'm not saying these are very accurate, but you can see the jump. And then if you've got an underlying health condition, as you've mentioned, I detect from some more elderly people that actually, and some of the younger people reflecting on it, think that it's quite sad that actually some people are saying, oh, don't worry, you're young. So even if you get it, you're going to be all right. It's the elderly. I mean, it's a team effort, this, isn't it? We should be thinking about our hygiene because we don't want to affect the older people. Absolutely. You might not be at risk, but your granny or your grandfather or the, or the woman in the pew or the man in the pew five doors down from you with lung disease or who's very elderly might be. And actually, as Christians, we have a duty, as Catholics particularly, you know, that obligation of solidarity and the preferential option for those who are most vulnerable, we have an obligation to practice good hygiene, to protect them and to keep them safe. They are the most precious bit of our society. 
I think the government's aim is good that we develop herd immunity to this. Herd immunity is where so many people have had it or are vaccinated against an illness that the virus can't circulate. It's a bit like that's why we have mumps and measles um, come back because the vaccination rate's fallen below what we what we need to maintain that herd immunity. We won't get um, we won't get herd immunity this year to COVID, um, but what we might get is enough people practicing hygiene to disrupt it and protect the most vulnerable. And finally, Jim, let's just say I have identified in myself or someone around me those symptoms that you've talked about. Um, what do I do? Because I've heard seven days self-isolation. I've heard 14 days self-isolation. I've heard phone 111, don't go to the doctors and so forth. So what do we do if we believe we're symptomatic? I, it's confusing because it, it's all changed in the last 48 hours and it's changed for the second time. So the current guidance is, if you've got those symptoms, go home, self-isolate, stay at home for seven days or until the symptoms have gone, um, you know, both symptoms of fever. Go to NHS 111 online to do the assessment if you feel really ill. If you feel mild, don't bother. Just treat it with paracetamol and whatever else you do. But if you begin to get ill, do it. And that will then direct you to whether you need to go to NHS 111 phone. Obviously, if you get really, really seriously ill, then you need to ring NHS 111, but not immediately. Um, and follow the guidance on there. And, and that's what you do. So it's seven days at home. Check NHS 111 online if you can't cope with your symptoms. Um, if you're really seriously ill and very vulnerable and have heart disease or something then go to um, NHS 111 by phone. That's great. Um, and I should reiterate that cbcew.org.uk is our Bishop's Conference website. We will keep it front and centre so you don't need to worry too much about delving into the healthcare page, which is where our actual advice is. So the front of our page, www.cbcew, that's actually Catholic Bishop's Conference England-Wales, if you're wondering, .org.uk for our guidance. Now, Jim, you said we're in stage two. You have made provision for stage three. Um, where what, what's the sort of thinking behind that? Um, so as we move into delaying an epidemic, if it gets really very bad, then we may suspend public gatherings. Um, we may um, move to social distancing as much as possible. It may mean that the schools close, but the scientific evidence that, that, that as we speak today means that the time is not right for that. And stage three is basically the suspension of masses and the suspension of public services. Now, we prepared for this in 2009. Most people won't remember that, but we did prepare for it. And stage three is about what you need to do and the pastoral care you can give people if you're not having public services. So our stage three is probably the equivalent to where Italy is at the minute and Singapore. Jim McManus, thank you ever so much for both your help and guidance uh, for the Catholic community and the work that you're doing. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you.